real quickly, find your way to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, this morning. And uh, if you are new to Abilene today, uh, or you haven't been here since the beginning of the summer, uh, we've been in a series of studies uh, looking and learning what the Bible has to say and teach us about angels and demons. And uh, over the last several weeks, I realized that we needed to spend a little bit more time looking and learning uh, what the Bible has to say. So we started off in this series by learning what the Bible has to say about the presence of angels. Uh, they are real. They exist. We looked at the personality of angels. They are powerful and they are protective. Then we spent one week looking at your personal angel, what some people will refer to as your guardian angel. And then the last time we were together, we kind of made a shift. We, we, we pivoted, if you will, and we began to learn what the Bible has to say and teach about the perverted angel, uh, the devil, Satan. And we saw there that the devil is your adversary. Demons are his emissaries, and his defeat is our opportunity. But after that sermon, the response was so overwhelming. I mean, oh, that, that, that next week, everybody kept sending me messages that very day. Hey, Pastor, thank you. You really helped me. Uh, Pastor, we've been going through a lot. This helps explain that I thought we, we don't need to be done. We need to go a little bit deeper, uh, spend a little bit more time here, settle in. And so we're going to give today and then next Sunday uh, to learning what the Bible has to say more about our adversary, uh, about our enemy, and uh, how he operates, what are his platforms, his plans, his ploys, uh, and then so we can learn how to overcome him. So you're there in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and here's what I learned in the early service as well. This is a lot. It is basically a systematic theology uh, dealing with the subject of uh, the devil and demons. Uh, it is not a camp meeting sermon. It's not a rah-rah sermon that I come in, I tell you a couple of stories, and we kind of ride it, and we have fun, we go out of here uh, cheering like we were at a football game Friday night Harlem, uh, and something like that. Uh, no, this is a lot. There is a lot to take in, but I do pray that you will pay attention, that you'll take some good notes, uh, that you'll listen, and that this will be a help to you and your family uh, for wherever you are right now or whatever you would have to uh, deal with in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. First Peter chapter 5, if you have found your way there to verse number 8, say, uh-huh. Notice what Peter says. Peter says, as we get to know our enemy, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible teaches that we have an adversary, we have an opponent. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He is the dirty old devil, and the Bible teaches that he is absolutely real. You said, but pastor, the church that I grew up in, my, my pastor told me growing up that the devil wasn't real. He was just a figment of the imagination. He was just a fairy tale. He didn't really exist. He's just something that, that we conjured up uh, back in the dark ages to kind of uh, help make sense for why things happen bad in our lives and in the world today. Or pastor, when I went off to college, my professor told me the exact same thing, that the devil's not really real. He is basically a psychological invention uh, of people. Well, I don't care what your professor has had to say, and I, I don't even care what your pastor had to say, Peter says the devil's real. Peter says the devil actually exists. He is a roaring, pacing, seeking lion who is out to destroy you and your family. 
So we need to understand how he operates. So how do we do that? Well, uh, anybody here, guys, did you, did you grow up playing high school or maybe college football? If you, raised, if you played football growing up, can I see your hands? Uh, how many of y'all played? So how many of y'all watched the football game out in Harlem this past week? Uh, Harlem did very well uh, against Greenbrier. Uh, go Bulldogs. Uh, youth, that's the only time you're going to ever hear me say that, right? And, uh, but all week long, my boy kept coming home and saying, our coach has watched the, the film. We, we've been watching the film. So when you were growing up playing football, did y'all watch film? Did y'all watch the videos? Can I see your hands? Why would you do that? Well, you did that because you wanted to learn how your opponent plays. You wanted to learn how they operate. You wanted to learn their weaknesses and their strengths. And so you would learn and study that film in order to study your opponent. It happens the same way in business. Uh, Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, uh, when he was alive would go every single month into a different store into one of his opponents or his competitive uh, business stores and he would try to find one thing every single month that his opponents or his competitors would do and that he could put into practice at Walmart. He would go back and then the Walmart personnel had a month to put it in practice in their stores as well. And so what we're needing to do is we need to study our enemy. We need to learn how he operates. We need to learn his strengths and his weaknesses and so that's what we're going to do here today because if athletes can do it and businesses can do it then Christians ought to do it as well right but so many times we don't do that what do we do we kind of adopt the idea well ignorance is bliss uh, if I'll just kind of ignore the devil he'll ignore me if I'll kind of act like he's not there then maybe he will uh, leave me alone and as a result of that we don't study we don't pray we don't plan we don't prepare we don't get to learn how he operates we don't learn anything about him and as a result of that we're having our legs taken out from underneath us our clock gets cleaned our block gets knocked off and we live in defeat and so what we need to do this morning is we need to learn a little bit more about who our enemy is, uh, what are his strengths, what are his weaknesses, what are his plots, his plans, his ploys, so that you can resist him and bind him and defeat him in the name of Jesus. Now, you don't have to be afraid of the devil if you're a Christian. Do you understand that, right? So we're not learning about him because we're afraid of him because if you are a Christian, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, right? But we do need to learn how to resist him. We do need to learn how to pray against him. And we do need to learn how to bind him and defeat him in the name of Jesus. So again, this is a lot. Uh, and we have a lot to get through in a very short time uh, to do it. So I want you to get your Bible out. How many of y'all have your Bibles? Can I, can I see your hands? You have your Bible. Hold your Bible up there this morning. Uh, make sure when you come to church, you bring your Bible. I recommend you have a printed copy because you never know when the battery's going to die uh, on your on your tablet or your phone. Uh, make sure. How many of y'all? So how many of y'all have a pen? How many of y'all have a pen? Hold up your pen. Make sure you bring a pen to hear me preach because coming to hear me preach without a pen is like the old time deacons coming to church without cigarettes. Make sure that you bring. Uh, Bring your pens, right? Uh, and then make sure you have something to take some notes on. Uh, have a notebook there or a Zaxby's napkin or something like that. So get all of that together. Let's settle in and let's learn some about who our enemy is and how he operates so that we can uh, defeat him. Number one, let's talk real quickly here about the reality of our adversary. The reality of our adversary. 
So if you're here this morning and you're one of those folks who, who was told the devil's not real, you don't think he actually exists, let me give you a few things to think about today. Number one, from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament alike, the Bible teaches in a, about a real personality called the devil. Old Testament, there's the devil. New Testament, there's a devil. Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, the Bible teaches that the devil is real. That's one of the reasons why I believe in the reality of our adversary. But the main reason why I believe that we have a real opponent, a real enemy called the devil, is because Jesus believed that the devil is real. Amen. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, again, from the Bible. Do you understand that every, all of the 25 times that the devil is mentioned in the four Gospels, every single time Jesus is speaking? So Jesus is talking 25 times in the four Gospels where the devil is mentioned. Jesus is either speaking or the devil is there tempting him. The devil is encountering him. 25 times in the four Gospels, Jesus is involved in letting us know that he is real. I'm telling you that Jesus believed in the reality of a personal devil. Let me give you a little bit of a, more information this morning. Matthew chapter 13, if you will. You can turn over there or you can follow along on the screen. In Matthew 13, Jesus is telling a parable about a man who went out and he sowed some seed and while he was asleep that night the enemy came in and sowed tares among the seed and then Jesus tells us there in Matthew 13 verse 39 exactly who that enemy was he says the enemy that sold them was the devil so in Matthew Jesus refers to the person called the devil over in Luke 10 verse 18 Jesus said there I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven the Bible says in Matthew Mark chapter 1 verse 32 at evening when the sun had set they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed and the whole city was gathered together at the door then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him look right here Jesus not only knew the devil the demons they knew him that leaves no doubt that the devil is real. There's the reality of our adversary. If you're taking notes still with me this morning, number two, notice the origin of our adversary because you say, Pastor, where did he come from? If you're saying that he's real, then where did he originate from? Well, let me show you. Turn back in your Bibles all the way left uh, back to the great big book in the Old Testament called Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28 and for the sake of time, let me just read verse 14 for you. The Bible says there in Ezekiel 28, verse 14, you were the anointed cherub. So remember, a cherub is one single angel. Cherubim is many angels. I am is synonymous with our S. So cherub, singular, cherubim, plural. Seraph, one angel, seraphim, plural. And so the Bible says there in Ezekiel, and you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. The devil was an angel that God created. 
He was a covering cherub, the Bible says. Literally, he protected the glory of God. He literally existed in the glory of God. He was in the presence of and before the face of holy God. That's where he comes from. He is a created being. Let me just kind of deal with this while we're in the neighborhood. There are those who will try to put the devil and God on the same level. Look right here. You can't do that. God is in a category. God is in a class all by himself. The devil is just a created being. He doesn't have the attributes of God to him. He is not, not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. But he is a powerful angel who tried to usurp the authority of God. He tried to grab the glory of God. He tried to overthrow God. And as a result of that, the Bible says that God kicked him out of heaven. But I want you to see where he came from this morning. God created him and God created him just like he created us. He created him with a free will just like he creates us with a free will. And of his own free will, he decided that he was going to sin. He was going to defy God. He was going to try to take God's place. And the devil sinned even before Adam and Eve sinned. So a lot of times we get the idea that the first sin in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit, right? No, it's not in Genesis 3. I don't even think it's in Genesis 1. I think it comes before Genesis 1. And we're learning about it here in Ezekiel and also later uh, in Isaiah. I think that that unrighteousness, that iniquity that was found in the devil was the first sin that was committed in all of the Bible. It took place before Genesis 3. It took place before Genesis chapter 1. So the Bible says that the devil is real. He had unparalleled perfection. He had unparalleled unparalleled habitation. He had unparalleled glory. He had an unparalleled uh, function. He was part of the cherubim. He was the anointed cherub. He guarded the glory and the throne of Almighty God, and yet he still fell. The third thing that I want you to see this morning, I told you it's a lot, and that is the fall of our adversary. You say, well, all right, pastor, you said that he's real, and you said that he fell, well, then how did he fall? What does the Bible say about that? Well, hopefully you still got your Bibles open there. Look there in Ezekiel 28 again at verse 16. The Bible goes on to say, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings, that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuary by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. God is already predicting his doom. Since you're already there in Ezekiel and we're in the neighborhood, let me take it just a little bit further. Go back to Isaiah, and I want you to just see a little bit clearer picture of him. There's one more Old Testament prophecy that predicted the coming of Satan, and it's found in Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. Notice what Isaiah says. He, he quotes here, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. The name Lucifer literally means shining one or light bearer. There may be some of you all sitting here this morning and you have the idea that the devil looks like some gross, hideous monster like you all watch in those horror movies that y'all should not be watching, by the way, right? 
And a lot of folks will think, well, that's what the devil looks like. He looks like those demons I, I, I see on, on TV. No, he doesn't look like that at all. The Bible says he is a shining one. If you read about that serpent that tempted Adam and Eve over in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says there that the serpent was more subtle, more beautiful, more beautiful, more cunning than any other creature of the field. He was beautiful. He was lovely. He didn't look like some ugly, slippery, slithering snake. He was beautiful. And the Bible says that the devil can appear as an angel of light or as a shining one. By the way, the devil dresses up really well. He dresses up good. And here he is as the shining one, Lucifer, the light bearer. And it says there, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, Isaiah. For you have said in your heart, so here's the devil's pride, here's his, here's his sin, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, I'm going to be greater than the other angels. I will, sit on, I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? You know what that tells me? That tells me that one of these days, when we finally see the devil, we're going to be shocked and amazed that he wasn't that big of a deal after all. We're going to kind of go, is this it? That's him? This is the one who caused all the problems in my family. This is the one who caused all problems down there on earth. This is him. So the Bible says that his desire was to be like God, and that's exactly what he's even still trying to do today. He wants to assert, usurp the authority and the glory of God. He wants Jesus to bow down to him, Luke chapter 4, and worship him. And here's the thing. He does have those that worship him, right? Did you know that the devil has people that actually pray to him? The devil actually has people who serve him. And he wants people to think that he's on the same level with God. He's not. But that's his sin. The sin of Satan is that he wanted to be God. Amen. Then you have number four. What about the nature of our enemy? What's he like? Well, again, I've already told you he's a created being. He was created by God, and when God created him, he created him with personality. He has volition and intelligence. And when the Bible refers to him, it uses personal pronouns like he or him. The Bible never refers to him as an it. He is not some sort of force. He is not some sort of thing. He is a real personality who stands against God and the things of God. And the Bible refers to him as an individual person, if you will. Now, again, you have movies like Star Wars and The Matrix, and, and they'll try to talk about the evil force, the, the dark side, those sorts of things. Again, the Bible knows nothing about that. That's nothing more than Hinduism. It is Eastern mysticism. That's all that is. And then you have things like, uh, remember um, Elton John singing in the original Lion King, The Circle of Life, right? And what he wants you to have the idea of is that you can live however you want to right now because you'll get another chance at this. You'll just get another go around at this. Look right here. No, you won't. No, you won't. 
Life is not circular, life is linear. You're born once, you die once, and where you spend eternity is determined by what you do with Jesus this side of the grave. And so the devil, though, wants you to think that he's just some force. He's just some thing. And that you're going to have another chance. No matter what you do in this life, you can just come back around. That is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. Let, let me, he is a person. He is a spiritual being. He is literally the archangel of the demons. So let me help you get to know him a little bit better this morning. Because the Bible has some names for him. If you're taking notes this morning, just jot down a few things for me. And, and again, the, Dr. Rogers always told us that the weakest ink is better than the best memory. And so take a few notes this morning. And what does the Bible tell us? Well, what names does it use so we can learn more about our adversary, our enemy, our opponent in this spiritual war that we're in? Number one, the Bible calls him Satan. That's the most common name used for him in the Bible. It appears 52 times in the pages of Scripture, and it simply means adversary or opponent. The second most often used name is devil. And this name appears 35 times in the Bible, and it means slanderer, and that's what he is. The devil is a slanderer, and the devil will slander you to God, and the devil will slander you to other folks. He is Satan, the adversary, your opponent. He is the devil, the slanderer. He is Lucifer, and again, that simply means light bearer. He is the evil one. Hey, by the way, isn't that interesting? That the Bible calls Jesus the righteous one, and the Bible refers to the devil, Satan, as the evil one. And if you're taking notes, that is John chapter 17, verse 15. He is also called the serpent, Genesis chapter 3. He is that snake in the grass that tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. And I know that I have some people here that I love dearly, and I'm looking for you. And you love snakes. Can I look right here and just say this to you this morning? The only good snake is a dead snake. Can I, can I get an amen this morning? Now, not everybody's going to agree. And that's fine. So I have these folks in our church, and I love you dearly. And you'll come to me, and you'll, you'll say something like this. Pastor, you need to understand that there are good snakes. And I say, all right, convince me. And, and they'll say something like this. Well, you have your venomous snakes, and then you have your non-venomous snakes. And your venomous snakes have a, have a kind of a pointed diamond-shaped head, and your, your non-venomous snakes have a, have a rounded head. And, and then your, your venomous snakes, some of them have a, have a pit in there between their eyes. Look right here. You think I'm getting that close? I can't tell which one's rounded, which one's pointing when you're moving as fast as I'm moving, right? And the Bible refers to him as the serpent, the snake. He's also called the great red dragon. I think that's where people get the idea that he's the little dude running around uh, in his leotard. He's got this red coveralls on, and, and uh, he's got this long, this long tail, and, and he's got this pitchfork, and, and he runs around poking folks in the backside. That is not Scripture, all right? But he is a great red dragon. When I was at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary doing my master's, we had a professor there named Dr. Kirk Kilpatrick. Dr. Kilpatrick was absolutely brilliant. He was the Hebrew scholar there at Mid-America in those days. And uh, any time in class he's talking about something, he would say, I wrote an article on that. I've got a journal article on that. Uh, I've got a chapter in the book on that. Brilliant guy. He is of the conviction that if you were to see the devil in his natural state today, you would see a dragon. 
And we asked him in class one day, why, did, why do you think that? And he said, well, go back to any culture. Go back into antiquity. Cultures that never had anything to do with each other, and every single culture has its dragon myth, and he believes that it comes from, from this. So he is the serpent. He's the great red dragon. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. So let me ask you a question. Um, anybody in here this morning ever sinned? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand right there, we're going to give an invitation in a minute, and you need to come to the altar and repent because you just sinned. Because we've all sinned, right? So those of you that raised your hand, so when you sinned and then you went to God and you confessed your sin, because 1 John 1, 9 says, right, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So you sinned, you confessed your sin, God forgave you of your sin, but then you went to do something for God. You went to, to serve or teach a class or you went to sing one Sunday or something like that. And all of a sudden you had that sin that you've already gone to God and asked him to forgive you for come back up in your mind. If you have ever had that happen to you, raise your hand. You know who that is? That's the devil. Because the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When you sin, so let's use an example. So I'm coming up here this morning. I'm coming back for the third service. I'm running a little bit behind. And I'm running pretty fast. I'm trying to get here. And there's this car with North Carolina plates that pulls out in front of me. And I am speaking in tongues at this person who is keeping me from getting here to you. And so right now, the Lord, I am sorry for what I thought about doing to that person who pulled out in front of me. It was a little car, Lord, and I have a big black expedition. Lord, forgive me. Now watch this. If I go to the Lord right now and say, hey, Lord, remember what I did about an hour ago? You know what he'd say? No. You know why? Because when you go to the Lord and you confess, repent of your sin, the Bible says he separates it as far as the east is from the west. He buries it in the sea of his forgiveness, never to remember it again, right? Amen. So when you have those times where you've asked God to forgive you and it comes back up, who is it? It's the devil. You need to understand the difference between Holy Spirit conviction and satanic accusation. The Holy Spirit will convict you in order for you to get right and draw near to God. The devil will condemn you in order so that you might be discouraged and defeated. Why? Because he is the accuser of the brethren. And he has this one-two punch, right? So what he does is he'll come to you and he'll say, do it. If it feels good, do it. Hey, you've got freedom. You can do whatever you want to. You're already a Christian. You can do whatever you want to. And then once you sin, then he comes in with a knockout punch and he says, I knew it. You're a good-for-nothing, rotten, dirty sinner. That's his one-two punch. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's also the tempter. He's also known as Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. 
He's also known as the ruler of this world. Now, he's not the ruler of the earth, but he is the ruler of this evil world system in which we live. And by the way, when he offered the kingdoms of Jesus to Jesus, if Jesus would just bow down and worship him, it was an offer that he had the ability to go through with. And then he's the prince of the power of the air. That's your enemy. That's his name and that, that is his nature. Now, what about his activity? Real quickly, we've got to move quickly. What does he do? Number one, he deceives the nations. Revelation 20, verse 3. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more. Why do you think Hitler did what he did? Because the devil was behind him. Why do you think you have all the stuff going on over in the Middle East and, and Ukraine and Russia and, and Korea? Why? Because the devil's behind. Why do you think we have all the issues in America that we have today? Transgenderism and all the other stuff that we're faced with today. Because there's a devil behind all that. He's the one who deceives the nations. But then how does he operate with lost folks? Well, he deceives the nations, but he blinds the lost. What does he do? He blinds you to the gospel. He blinds you to your need of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God would do for you like he did for Paul there on the road to Damascus. He would pull those scales off of your eyes, let you see your condition and your desperate need of a Savior and how wonderful and beautiful Jesus is and that you'd be saved today. And then what does he do for the Christian? He deceives the nations. He blinds the lost, and then he tempts the saved. And what does he do? The Bible says real quickly that he tempts us in three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same thing he did in Genesis 3. She saw that the apple, the, the, the fruit, was good for the eyes, pleasant for the eyes. It was good to eat and desirable to make one wise. When he took Jesus up there and tempted him there in the wilderness, what did he do? First of all, he says, hey, here's some bread. Turn these stones into bread if you're hungry. Hey, uh, if you want them to know who you really are, jump off of the top of the Temple Mount, and there's an angel that's going to catch you, and they'll know who you are then. And then if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that your eyes can see, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And here's what I'd say to you. The devil's not original, but he's very consistent. So here's the last thing. What does the Bible say about his future? Well, here's what the Bible says, Matthew 25, 41. The Bible says there that, the, that God created hell for the devil and his demons. doesn't mean that if you die lost, you're not going to hell. It just means that originally that's who, that's who it was created for. It was created for the devil and his demons. Would you like for me to end this sermon by sharing with you kind of what's going to happen to the devil? Would y'all like to know that? He's bothering you. He's wearing your family out. He's causing all kinds of trouble. You know what the Bible says is going to happen to him? Listen to this and we close. Revelation 20, verse 7. And now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. 
and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I think my favorite part of what the Bible tells is going to happen to him is basically what the Bible says is on that day, some lowly, unnamed angel is going to grab the devil by the scruff of the neck and the seat of his red leotard. Not really, but you get the picture. And is going to toss him head over heels into the lake of fire where he will spend eternity. The devil's wearing your family out. The devil's causing all kinds of trouble for you. The devil's causing all kinds of trouble in our community and all kinds of trouble in our world. And do you ever get the idea that it seems like he's winning? He doesn't. He doesn't. One of the reasons why I love our summer interns so much, and if you're new to Abilene, we, we have the premier summer internship in all of the convention. We are Liberty University's preferred internship. The reason why I love it so much is that's kind of where I cut my teeth. And so when I was doing my MD, of, I was on staff at Bellevue Baptist Church serving in the college ministry. And my job was the summer interns. My, my job was to make sure they got out, they did their uh, spiritual uh, interest inventory door-to-door eight hours a day in Memphis in the middle of the summer. At the end of the summer, it was my responsibility to take and give them a treat. And so we came to Atlanta. Why in the world Atlanta? I don't know, but they sent us to Atlanta. And so I took them to Atlanta, and I took them, first of all, to the Coke Museum because everybody knows Coke's best, Right? Although if you go to the Coke Museum, they have this, they have this kind of Coke product called Beverly. How many of y'all have ever tried Beverly? Can I see your hands? It's nasty. The first time I tried it, I got dizzy and I wondered what they had spiked it with, right? I took them to the Coke Museum, I took them to Stone Mountain, I took them to, to Six Flags, and then I took them to a Braves game. And we were coming back riding that subway or train, whatever it is, and there was a young guy there with a black hat and black, dressed all in black, early 20s, that had his backpack there, and we engaged this young man. We, they spent all summer witnessing on the streets of Memphis. Here's a guy on the train. He's kind of a captive audience. And we started witnessing this guy, and I noticed he had a black hat with gold lettering that said, Pagan. He's a devil worshiper. And as we're talking and sharing the gospel with him, with him, he pulls out his tarot cards, starts working with his tarot cards. And he makes this statement. He says, I, I know what you guys believe, and you think that, that Jesus wins. And I'm just telling you, I believe that in the end, the devil wins. And that's why I worship him. Yep. Look right here. I've read the end of the book. And in the end, God wins. Amen? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter how much conflict and chaos the devil is causing in your family, in the end, God wins and we win. And here's why. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The devil is a defeated foe. 
And you can live in victory over him today.